Have you ever eavesdrop on a conversation and you felt badly? Well, now you don't have to. The Talent, Sales, and Scale podcast is pleased to introduce Hypergrowth Banter, a time that you are invited in to eavesdrop on a couple of subject matter experts on all topics related to revenue generation. So join us, won't you, for the Hypergrowth Banter Show brought to you by the Talent, Sales, and Scale podcast. It should be a lot of fun. So I had like, I'll take, there's two reps that I had at uh, Power Reviews. I had a guy named Alex, a guy named Casey. Alex, if, if you just covered up all of these, this guy was the freaking king of finding opportunities and qualifying them. Like he okay. was just a master of, like he always had this massive pipeline. Casey didn't, right? So Casey's was like a third of what Alex's was all the time. So from an outside perspective, if I'm looking at that, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with Casey? Right. Here's the, the if you look at the results on the back end, so the results, Casey consistently crushed Alex, crushed him in terms of, uh, you know, bookings and quota attainment and all of that. So if you just look in this, this one silo and go, hey, Alex is so much better than Casey. What's wrong with Casey? You'd be missing the whole boat. And so like that, that's where this all started is we've got to stop looking at like the, like how much can I pile into each silo and start to take a look back and go, why is Casey doing so well? Well, he's got a third as many of these, but each one is better, is a higher dollar amount. Yeah. He tends to win more because He's really, really focused and he's building relationships. He's doing this slowly. And as a result, he's ending up with buyers that buy faster. And as so when you look at all those, while this one was down, these three were way up and cycle length was quick. That's why he was crushing it. And so we had to look at, all right, what's Casey doing? And Casey just took a human approach. He had like, he just was able to relate so well with the customer, he connect on LinkedIn, he wouldn't immediately pitch slap them, right? <laughs> he would, you know, maybe interact with content a little bit, or he would take what he's finding on that and then send something that is like highly customized, personalized, valuable. He would just teach and he would just keep contributing to that and a very small number of opportunities. And the next thing you know, those would turn into big dollar amounts and he would win almost every deal that he was in. All right, so you can steal this if you want. So let's, I'm gonna say yes, amen, hallelujah, because a bloated pipeline is pointless, right? Right. I always tell people, um, if you have a bloated pipeline, what that means is you have a professional visitor, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody that shows up is getting invited to birthday parties, but they're never gonna close a deal, yes. right? Yep. So there's that delicate balance. So do you remember Ferris Bueller's day off that pool scene. Yeah. All right. So this is like the best analogy in the world to me, I think. So if you if you look at this and so here here's the filter, right? That little filtery thing on it. And yeah. then you have um, a, a trash can over here. Right. So let's go the Oscar, the, the Grouch trash can. Mm -hmm. um, so you, whenever you're looking at this, the way I, I, I view this lead flow is it goes um, you know, we, we, we dump it into the, this pool 
And that pool then gets pulled into this hot tub where there's a lot of movement, a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. And then from that hot tub, it's either going to go um, into the trash can because they're they're disqualified, right? Or it's going to go into the filter to come back in, or maybe it will go right back into here. You know, maybe it fell out a pipeline or whatever. So I had to push it out, close loss because they went MIA. I want to close loss that. But then, hey, they're re-back and I don't want to start from scratch. So I'm going to put them back into the hot tub. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the, the way that I'm looking at this. Yeah. In, in the old days, what I was looking at is um, total attempts. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a little bit higher than you're starting at the number of deals. So I look right. at attempts. Yeah. I look at um, connects. Yep. And then I look from connects to MQL or a booked meeting. Right. SQL is kept meeting. Mm -hmm. And then um, pipeline would go here. Right. And then, you know, whatever, however many steps that is to include legal and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a couple of different steps. And then closed one or closed lost. Yep. That's exactly what I used to do too. Yep, that's right. Now, what I'm finding though, is that although yes, that works, um, there seems to be right here, this is not quite hot tub. Mm -hmm. It's like a new nurture that if you constantly bring value to them and you start to build this up to say 250 to 500, or 500 contacts that yeah. we're bringing value to and almost doing like a strategic account management that you would for for a customer do that strategic account management or or nurturing uh, targeted nurture campaign for those 250 to 500 mm -hmm. and, and that's where you start to get that um you know maybe 10 percent of those will fall out a year or something like that that's kind of what my new way of thinking is becoming. So let me just stop there and say, does that kind of align where we have, yes, quantity to test out the leads, you know, validate the information, are they even in our target profile, really make sure that we have that right. And then yeah. those of those validated, those are worth the, the, the those are worth the more in-depth work of relationship building and, and nurturing and all that stuff. So that's kind of what's been going through my mind. Is that way off from what you were talking about? No, no, that's right on. I mean, I, as far as the, the measures, what we did was dials to yeah. completed calls to appointments. Okay. And then um, appointments to sales. Or no, I'm sorry, appointment to qualified and then qualified to sales. Yeah. And like that was that was always the metrics that... I used to teach and use. Um, so like what you're talking about is right on. Um, there's two things. Number one, like to your point about the inflated pipeline, it was, I, I don't know if you saw my rant from a few weeks ago on that, but um, this idea that I, I used to coach my team to be like, hey, we need 4X our quotas in pipeline at any time. Do you remember this? I didn't see the, the rant, but I know where you're heading with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, we always need 4X our quota and pipeline. And so what would everybody do? Go fill our pipeline. And so, and then we would look at, at that as a proactive measure that, hey, we've got 4X our quota in there. That's awesome. We're going to make it. And I, I then realized how dumb that is. <laughs> because it's like, that just assumes that we're only going to 
close a quarter of our stuff. And so we're, we're looking at the wrong measure. We're looking at the number of opportunities and how big those are, and that's it. Why don't we instead start to look at a hyper-focus on qualification? Yeah. Something that I refer to as extreme firmographic focus, which is like, let's look at all this data as it relates to verticals, company sizes, even geos, and then go, let's pick a lane for a few weeks. Like six weeks, we're just going to pick one lane. And let's say that's large aerospace companies in the US. And we rally the whole marketing organization around it. Everybody is all hyper-focused on aerospace. The next thing you know, each one of those reps suddenly and magically becomes really, really smart on aerospace. Like yeah. everything they see and they're doing research, they're on following experts on Twitter. They know everything that's going on in the, indus the industry. And the next thing you know, with those aerospace companies, they're providing insights. They're coming across as consultants instead of salespeople. Their confidence is contagious. It's building. And as a result, like when we did this at one of my companies, and it was actually my CEO thought it was freaking nuts. And because uh, I was just like, I know we can call on all these manufacturers. I know. Like, but for six weeks, just trust me. And if you want to fire me after that, like, you know, it, if you if you can't feel safe about taking risks, then what are we doing? Yeah, I think this is a risk worth taking. We ended up getting we were a three million dollar company at the time. We got a seven million dollar deal with Boeing. Nice. And then we got Gulfstream. We got uh, Cessna, and then we slowly just went out. So I had a rep in Dallas who was like, "I think oil and gas is a really perfect match here. Can we rally around that? Like, go." You got Schlumberger and Halliburton, Chicago guy. What about heavy manufacturing? We went after Caterpillar and Deer. I don't remember if we got those, but like that was that was the theory. Yeah, it's hyper extreme firmographic focus in very tight windows of companies that we know work based on the data, based on our case studies, and um, and, and the next thing you know, it's taking us a lot less opportunities to get to that. Like our ratio fell down to like two to one needed instead of four to one. So um, that was in your book, correct? Um, I don't remember. Maybe. I, I, I can't I remember if that was in your book, that, but I, I remember you bringing that up, and I can't recall if it was in the podcast or the book. But in so let's put practicality to that. Mm -hmm. It's I so it's identify the the vertical, mm -hmm. then identify the critical few to get in there. And so is that a list of five? Is that a list of 10? Because if you're talking Boeing's and, and Gulfstream, oh, right. that's yeah. pretty darn niche. Yes, exactly. So for us at the time, so this was back in 2007. Um, it was right at the beginning of the Great uh, Recession. Right. And we had 12 reps. They fired the VP of sales and eight of the reps. And they're like, Todd, you're in charge. Um, <laughs> I have to be? I was cheaper. And like, that was my first VP of sales gig. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Let's go, but you got to like, I'm cheap, but uh, we got nothing to lose. Let's go. And so I had four reps. And so they each had like five or six companies that they were focused on for a very small or short period of time. We like, you know, those deals that Boeing deal took us a year to close, that it was six weeks of hyper focus to generate the knowledge, the confidence and the pipeline around it. And then we would slowly go out. Okay. Um, and like, so it was just hyper-focused in short sprints and making sure that marketing, they're looking and finding everything and delivering case studies and the stuff that we needed in that, in that vertical.
Interesting. Okay. So you're, you're, so that, that goes into the practicality of it. Mm -hmm. You're hyper-focused on critical few number of targets. So yeah. it literally might be 10, 20 and 20 is probably going to be a lot. Yeah. And, and then you're doing case studies, uh, collateral, uh, really learning the industry. So whenever we're talking to them, we're subject matter experts, or at least can, can hold our own in the lingo. So you're not talking about a out of, straight out of school, never had any kind of business acumen whatsoever. You're talking a little bit more seasoned. Um, in this one, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Now, like at Power Reviews or like there's a startup that I advise uh, here in Chicago. They could go after anybody that has a website selling anything. Okay. And so we first went at a high level and said, all right, like what's the sweet spot? Like where do you want to be? And it was retailers between 50 million and a billion. I'm like, all right, that's really wide. Um, like, let's talk about the verticals within it. And we did. And then I was like, or were you finding a lot of momentum? And they're like, apparel, health and beauty. All right. So we're at apparel, health and beauty, pick one. Yeah. Was like, uh, we, we just closed a couple of deals with apparel. I'm like, all right, tell me about it. it. And it was like, um, I, I don't know, it was like uh, two shoe companies. And I was like, all right shoes like shoes i'm like shoes six weeks of fucking shoes right like that was that was it and he was just like you know we got nothing to lose let's go yeah and he did it and like that company serena williams just invested in him like no all way. of a sudden they're they're like all of a sudden the ball is rolling and then it's getting bigger and but it's just like you gotta start with a, a, a hyper focus that again that's not the uh, the intuitive model. It's kind of my crazy mind, but I just I know that confidence is contagious. I know that focus builds confidence. I know that that confidence when you're talking to a customer and you're bringing insights, that's the homework. That's how you build relationships. That's why like that's how you stand out. Yeah, I, I'm just like such a huge believer that, especially in spaces where there's lots of companies that do kind of the same thing, you can differentiate on your products maybe the value, maybe the price, and really differentiate in the way you sell. Yeah. Nobody's doing this. That's that's interesting. So hyper-focus, um, how about if you're net new and if you are the industry or the, the industry maker, same thing, yeah. I guess. To, yes. And I would think that it would be a little bit more important there mm -hmm. because now you have to prove yourself and this goes to crossing the chasm that book in the 90s where you get your your beachhead and yeah. then expand out from there is kind of what you're talking about right well yeah it's uh like you know one of my old books like 1916 book here um they it might even actually be in that book where it talks about like you wouldn't just go out in a field and start shooting like shotgun things and then like hope that maybe you got a bird yeah um that you're not going to eat for long doing it that way. Like you got to study it and figure out where the birds are going to be. And, you know, like that, that's one of the analogies they talk about. And I'm like, that's exactly right. As an entrepreneur, as a, you know, new founder, you think like, Hey, let's just cast a wide net and see what we get. Well, that's probably all right for a few weeks just to see who's interested and what kind of challenges you have, but you got to get to hyper-focus right away. You got to make a bet and double down on it. And like that's uh, that same company that I advised that we did shoes. I'll tell you a year back, part of the reason that they got in so, so much trouble um, was for the same reason. 
And that's why they listened to me on the shoes thing. We, we did the first pass at this and they were like, at the time they were thinking 50 million to a billion in revenue retailers. Okay. And, uh, I, and we talked about why is 50 and below bad? He laid it all out for me. All right. Remember that. What about billion plus? Why is that bad? And like, we vetted that whole thing out. Two months later, he calls me and he's like, dude, you're not going to believe this. Nordstrom has been looking for a solution like us forever. They were about to invest in building it. They did a Google, Google search and found us. And uh, like, dude, like that, this is it. And I'm like, this is what? He's like, it's Nordstrom. If we get Nordstrom, we build credibility and off we go. And I, I just took him back. I was like, Ronnie, remember what we talked about. He's like, fuck off, Todd. Like, this is Nordstrom. <laughs> And, it's Nordstrom. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and we're gonna go. And uh, and I was just like, all right, you know, think about what that win means. It you know means credibility, but it means credibility to companies like Nordstrom, um, which is which is great if that's if you decide you're gonna move your focus. Um, but remember the downsides. Like Nordstrom isn't just going to buy your solution and put it in like they downloaded some software. They're gonna beat you up. He's like, we're ready. Like we're gonna go. Six months later after they had had four meetings in Seattle and Nordstrom had basically forced them to um, reprioritize their whole roadmap. Oh no. The holidays come. So it's like September and Nordstrom's like, we love you. We still want to do this, but it's got to wait till January. We got the holidays. We just locked down. Yeah. Like, okay. January comes Nordstrom reorgs. All those people are in different roles. Oh. And so they reordered their roadmap. They had spent a year focused on them. And they just lost, like their opportunity cost was gigantic. And then basically he called me with, you know, like basically the doctor had delivered the news that they had six months to live, but this time it was their investors. Yeah. And, uh, and so we just scrambled to like hyper-focus for a little while. Try that, like, you know, focus on, you know, scaling down. What do you not need? Like, let's get a little bit more runway and now they're on fire. Nice. Okay. No, it's really, really helpful. Um, so that said, how are you how are you doing? Are you still believing in leading and lagging indicators? Like how are you tracking an accountability? Because I can't see you as one that's here's not what I'm hearing. You're relational, yes, but you're also transparent and you wouldn't have gotten to where you are if you weren't also holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. So how are you how are you getting that both and? Yeah, I mean it was looking at those four metrics. Right. So we would like those are the four that I looked at holistically. So my sales ops guy at the beginning of every month, beginning of every quarter, we would look at, all right, how do we do with, uh, you know, deal creation, dollar size on those deals by vertical win rates, cycle lengths by vertical, by like deal size. OK, we would look at those and then we'd measure them quarter over quarter and year over year. And I'd present that to the board as like in many cases, we would start to see number of deals go down and the board would be like, what the heck? <laughs> like we're, we're getting really good at qualifying. We're getting really good at driving value into these deals. And we're getting really good at efficiently taking buyers through the journey. So the other three are all going up. And that's what I want. Like I would rather us work on a lot less deals and have those other three indicators going up. And they're like, cool. How and my leaders, my managers would do the same thing with their reps. They would look at all four categories. And then even during, um, like they, after every month, my, my VP of sales with our corporate team would get everybody in a room, 
put everybody's numbers up on a spreadsheet with no names. So it was, you know, bookings, number of opportunities, wind rate, average size, cycle length. And uh, we just put that up. And then the other reps, they had a little piece of software they'd use that would elect who the rep of the, the month was. Okay. And it was like, so they would hold each other accountable to all four. So you'd see somebody who had a ton of new opportunities. That person rarely won, right? It was the people that were, were working deals efficiently and not wasting time. How, what did you do? Because where I'm at, and this is where I'm likely screwing up here, what did you do about before the new deals, the activities to get the new deals? Were you tracking any of those leading indicators? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we built our CRM around um, the, like, I, a lot of times, like, I, I don't know if you're a member of that MSP, the, uh, I, I don't remember what it's called, but um, there was somebody had posted like, hey, how do you do your, your Salesforce stages? And everybody's just like, uh, first step is discovery and then demo and then proposal. And like, oh, like, <laughs> God, you know, if, like if you're, if you're focusing the way that you forecast on buyer or seller behaviors, you're just going to lose like that's. And so we, we rejiggered our entire forecast to focus on recognizing buyer behavior. Okay. And which is essentially like you've seen a million times and I wrote the book, have they decided for change? Like, do they realize their status quo is no longer sustainable? And like, where are we in that? Have they decided on us versus somebody else? And where are they in that process? And then have they decided now is the right time? And where are we in the contract process and all that? Um, we would do that. And then we would uh, celebrate the reps when they lose, which is nuts, I know. But like we had to create safe environments for reps to not only lose, but proclaim that they've lost. Well, um, and and part just... of the reason was we would create, like in previous um, environments, reps would be af afraid to lose. And if they did lose or they were losing or a deal got out of control, the last person they were calling was their manager. And that like, I was like, we got to fix that. Yeah. Well, that goes against, you know, your transparency sale that goes against it completely because what we couch it in terms of disqualify the opportunity. Mm -hmm. If it's an NO, I want a KNOW as quickly as possible. Exactly. Yeah. If I try to drive to the disqualification, there's no pressure there. I can be a lot more transparent in a trusted advisor with that person if I'm saying, hey, here's all the reasons that you might not. And if they still want to do it, not my fault. I tried to talk you out of it. So yeah. I guess you got to buy it now. Right. So let's yeah. let's talk through that. Um, so I, I like that part. And, and also, if you're not getting your people or celebrating the no and that disqualification, because sometimes, especially in more complex sales, that cost of of the sales process is insanely high. So if we can if we can get a no, a disqualification early, that's going to be helpful there. Mm -hmm. That mindset that, you know, we have to have a mutual disqualification. And lastly, it prevents that bloated pipeline where we're going to have more accurate forecasting. And now I can focus on who's really going to be good as opposed to everybody, you know, um, clogging up my my time. Exactly. That That's it. That's it. We would have to sell it like that. I mean, that's part of the transparency piece is like, I wanted every rep to have less opportunities in their pipeline, yeah. with a much higher win rate. Okay. And the way you do that is by the telling, the, I mean, you're the Sherpa to the buyer, right? You're helping them get up that mountain without killing themselves. And whether it's with you or somebody else, like, let's figure that out as quickly as possible. There's it, that whole transparency piece. It's all about um, 
win faster, win a higher percentage of your deals, qualify in better the deals you should win, qualify deals out faster that you're going to lose anyway. Yeah. And then in the end, make it really hard on your competitors to compete like to message against you because you've already sold on behalf of them. Yeah. Controlled the narrative and the message. Well, awesome. Okay. So the good news is that, uh, you know, it, it goes into less on net new deals to make sure that we have a thin, fast flowing pipeline instead of posed as one, like a, a, a clogged pipeline with algae and disgustingness heading through it. Right. Yeah, just So we can say that it's full. Yeah. Right. So we keep that thing flowing through. And, and so that's one piece. But in order to be able to do that, we also need to look at above that more in that marketing. I'm calling it that marketing phase that yeah. that cross between sales and marketing where we're doing effective outreach, niching into a, a critical few so we can have hyper focus on that, make enough attempts, enough research, enough collateral to be able to do that. Um, and then that's going to fill to the pipeline, better pipeline, better qualification. I can flow through there with better understanding, better value because I'm really well, well, well um, rounded or well vetted or uh, I can't think of the word there. Um, I want to say well rehearsed, but that's not the case. I can't think of the dang word, but you get it. Um, we're really good in that in that language. So we're now having executive conversations, strategic conversations as opposed to tactical. And so I'm not going to get pushed down to the level that I sound, which is procurement. I'm going to stay up at a strategy level, which is that senior senior executive kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny. And that that brings up a good point about the alignment between sales and marketing, which is the drum that never stops getting beaten. But man, I mean, your marketing team's metrics need to be aligned really well. Yeah. Because uh, even at Power Reviews, like my CEO is measuring marketing by number of leads and I was just like, I more leads. Like, I, I want better leads. Like, how do we measure that? Like, yeah. that's what I care about. And my my CMO was freaking awesome. She yeah. was a rock star. And so she and I would just go arm in arm and yell at them, and we would win. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, you know that article I wrote about the fact that if somebody comes to me with a prospecting uh, request, I like I say no and refer. Yes. My, my biggest client today sends me an email saying. The team wants you back here as quickly as possible, but we need prospecting help. What do you do? <laughs> and I and I was just like, I say no. Like I, I mean, it's it's so funny. So like it happened. My biggest client obviously doesn't read my posts and came to me for prospecting help today. And it's funny because I said no, and she was like, "All right, can you tell us like what what haven't we done yet, and how would you approach it?" And uh, I would be like, "Well, if you need pure prospecting, I'm going to refer that out. If you need like." Here's the way that I think about it, and I kind of bring them back to transparency. Yeah, and to waiting to hear what they say. But uh, that when when you qualify out of stuff and try not to be all things to all people, it's amazing how magnetic you become. All right, so Todd, this has been an amazing impromptu. I can't thank you enough for doing this. All spurred. LinkedIn doesn't work. Those LinkedIn posting does don't work. <laughs> but all spurred from an awesome LinkedIn post. So hey, everyone, reach out to Todd Capone. Awesome book, The Transparency Sale. Uh, you need a sales kickoff. He's your guy. You need a good smile with a fancy beard. Check out the video. Um, reach out to him, Todd. Any any parting thoughts? Dude, I just, I, it's been like since Friday. I, I have, you know, it's funny. In uh, college, my nickname was Proceeding Hairline. <laughs> <laughs> 
see that? There you go. The older we get, we have hair coming out wherever we don't want to. There, <laughs> right. There's a great image. So, hey, get after it, everyone. Thanks, Todd. I really appreciate it. Be well. That was fun. Thanks, buddy.